Hello and welcome to the third and final for this year edition of What Are You Frightened For? Where we review Fantasia and films we've seen at it. And I am Johnny Suck. And I'm Louise Burns. And so the first movie we're going to talk about is Woman Who Kill. Yeah, it's a film that I saw. It is written, directed, and starring Ingrid Jungerman. Um, it is a, a horror comedy, I guess would be the genre. Um, takes place in Brooklyn, New York. And it starts with two women who are um, ex-lovers, um, however, spend all their time together and do a podcast about women's serial killers. This podcast sort of is uh, talks about it's very niche and talks about their fascination with women who kill um, the first scene uh, they go to a prison and visit one of their celeb uh, serial killers um, so it has that um, funny tone uh, and during the conversation actually you get all this passive aggressive uh, nudges back and forth of the, their relationship so you can see that they have all this kind of leftover baggage and tensions that is the subtext of the conversation even though they're there uh, sort of talking about who is the better serial killer. So we should get started. For each episode we interview a, a female murderer to get her side of things. Who else have you interviewed? We got a chance to speak with Josephine Walker right before she died. Oh, she's the one who clipped the lady's nails right before she stabbed them in the heart. She was good. A little heavy on the methodology but I respect her conviction. Um, the story moves beyond their um, podcast to also where the main character, Ingrid, works at a food co-op and is very satirical about organizations very similar to the one that we belong to. CKUT also looked like Frigo there. Um, there is a new member. The new member has to go through an orientation. Uh, the new member in question is uh, Sheila Vand, who starred in the vampire movie A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Ingrid um, develops a crush on her, and the film takes uh, off into the direction of her relationship, very uh, quick uh, blossoming relationship with this mysterious and uh, enigmatic woman, and uh, the friends around her suspicion and um, perhaps jealousy of this new woman in her life. Um, it develops in all the more such that they become paranoid about this woman, uh, this new woman, whether she is the daughter of or perhaps a serial killer herself. Um, there is a very dark ending in the film, which I won't reveal. And I have um, had conversations with people who saw it who uh, actually did not like that ending. I did. Um, I think the humor in this film is... Um, about how accurately they get it right. Um, it makes fun slightly of um, the activist, uh, socially progressive scene. You see things like uh, bicycles painted in white, which is the memoriam symbolic of having had a bike accident. Little, little nods like that, which we see commonly in um, Montreal as well. And so just sort of uh, the, the fact that there is so many detail that is so, uh, so true, goes beyond truth into being able to laugh at yourself. Why do you think 
that was the setting of the film, or like those were the characters in the film? Um, why were they the characters? Yeah. Um, I think she wanted that accuracy. I think she wanted to depict a, a reality that she probably um, lives day to day, and um, have. There's a certain kind of rebellious yet kind of affectionate. Um, depiction of the people around you. Um, so the the joy of being able to make fun of yourself. Like I know I cringed somewhat during the orientation at the food co-op because I went, that is, you know, that's us. And then, but then it is why I liked it a lot as well. I also liked that the ending was dark because I thought that it borderlined in tone between um, dark and light or, you know, like, um, like that, I think maybe some people were uncomfortable because is she laughing at or laughing with? It could have been just a rom-com kind of hipster uh, film, but the fact of the perversity of um, the, uh, a looming ser serial killer or the paranoia of a looming serial killer gave uh, the film, I thought, a great edge. And, and you recommend it? Yes, I do, absolutely. I really do. I thought it was a blast. Okay. Um, so, we were talking about how in, um, you know, unbeknownst to anticipating what you're going to see in Fantasia, it seemed that we did see a lot of not-so-scary films or, or somewhat scary films that used humor quite a bit. Um, you want to talk about the... Waste Crater. Yeah. I'd even say that movie was more of a comedy that use horror a little bit yeah agreed so lace creator which is directed by harrison atkins who maybe that name means something maybe it doesn't uh is a uh, kind of a pretty low-key low-key movie about um, a group of people they go to a cabin for a weekend they're partying and one of them ends up meeting a ghost and so the movie presents a very physical form a very normal looking ghost not a you know white spirit but just like a, a guy a, in a <laughs> rugsack basically yeah. who died and is now in some sort of limbo but it's still physically there and so one of the people who was at the cabin meets the ghost, they have sex, it's awesome for them, and then she gets sick and doesn't know what's happening. I was wondering if you could tell me if you're sexually active. I did recently have sex with someone who was a stranger. Come out! Come on! Hey. You dropped your drink. <laughs> it appears that you're suffering from a sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> Something very uncommon. Um, um actually uh, depicts this uh, group of friends as being, like they all do Molly, and they sort of lie on a bed together 
and all are individually monologuing. That was so ad-libbed, we discovered afterwards, about their own sort of insecurities and self-absorption. So they're not particularly likable characters, I found, in that way. But they felt realistic. But they felt realistic. And um, they all, the other point was that the ghost uh, presents himself to her. The person who owns, whose family owns the cabin says, oh, there's a rumor that there's a ghost at the coach house, so be careful, ha ha ha. And uh, it's sort of like crazy noises in the dark, in the cabin, in the woods kind of stuff. But be, after she has, they've drank a lot and they've done Molly, they, uh, she's in her room and she hears the noises and she just says, you know, come out, show yourself. So that's why this ghost presents himself. Um, and then it, like the, once she has that, um, like when she, she's uh, Googling um, STD from a ghost, which is of course comic, um, it turns into a, like a, a lot of her symptoms, which are kind of repulsively depicted, including um, her skin starting to peel. And so more of the horror random elements. Random bleeding. Random bleeding. Rose vomiting. Yeah, black vomit. Ooze. And, uh, coming her. Yeah, and the, and what in the conversation after the the allegory in terms of how her friends reacted was this whole slut shaming allegory. There was a, another theme that um, people saw in this film too, which was about addiction. And I always thought that perhaps the plot would go towards, uh, well, maybe she imagined it all or some sort of drug hallucination. But of the um, I think your satisfaction in the film. Uh, comes from whether you are willing to accept having sex with a ghost as a believable, a plausible kind of uh, thing. Well, I think it's something that's obviously not plausible, <laughs> but when you watch the movie, you have to accept that this is the setting of the movie. Mm -hmm. And you know, it might depend on your taste in movies, but you also like to watch a lot of science fiction and fantasy movies and horror movies so then whatever the movie sets as its reality you have to go with mm -hmm. and then just expect that from there things make sense within that framework mm -hmm. and even though it is preposterous I was um, more willing to go with it especially I think in part of because of the discussion after the film which I guess people who normally go to films don't have the benefit of that uh, realizing how little money it was it um, they had to make this film and seeing it you know they it had very few locations it was really stripped down not meticulously planned out um, yeah so I appreciated it for that you asked about the name which was the most kind of confusing part of the it's called lace crater which has nothing really to do yeah you know on the surface with the movie and doesn't give any accurate description of what you're gonna see but it was uh, a representation, symbolic representation of some ideas in the film. Mm -hmm. that. And a similar film that we saw that um, clearly had more money, more production value, was a film by Zach Clark called Little Sist Sister. Um, and in this film, the premises that you have to accept is that the main character is on her way to becoming a nun. And she returns home 
to visit her family who are a bunch of kind of exaggerated cartoony characters, uh, alcoholic um, pot smoking parents and a brother who's back from um, uh, Iraq and is uh, horribly, horribly disfigured. Um, one of our complaints was the mask of his disfigurement. They seem to have a lot of money, but they just slopped a lot of clay on this man's face. I don't find the mask that bad. It's uh, served his purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know what people who get disfigured in wars look like, but it's not going to be pretty. And that's me, you know, I was able to accept that this is that character. The question then is why is this character here in this film and what's that, the point of that? And actually, when the movie, at the beginning of the movie, it sounded, seemed like it was going to be about the brother more mm-hmm. and about what he's going through but then it was really just on the side and I was curious about this movie like why it has all these like well it was the, the redemption tests. of the brother right the brother spends all his time in a like a separate house from that like a separate or a room where he's uh, just drumming um, quite I like the music actually drumming in ferociously and so of course the nun character breaks through and draws the brother out but she does so by donning a pink rig, wig and um, returning to her goth child roots I don't know didn't work for me yeah well you know you had mentioned not buying the you know, main character who's like she was maybe an 18 year old girl buying her as being a nun or why would she become a nun and Maybe at first she seems numbly, mm-hmm. then she goes and goes home, and yet yeah, goes back to her to her roots, and then it's like, yeah, why did this character become a nun, and why was like why even bother having that mm-hmm. as part of the plot? And but I think that was you know a lot of the movie was all this these excessive details or scenes or events that don't necessarily make sense together, and it was a mishmash. But it wasn't unlikable. No, it was it was very commercial and very feel good kind of movie, which I think. Uh, but I have a feeling it just won't have any kind of make you think deeper about anything. Just kind of blow right through you. Uh, so the last film is Operation Avalanche that I saw. Um, it fits with what we have talked about a bit in that it is the time traveling with a twist because it is um, depicted in about the 1967 uh, moon landing and so um, it's a modern contemporary Canadian film where Matt Johnson um, who is the director and writer and Josh Bowles and Owen Williams um, who they also use their own names within the film. Like the main character is Matt Johnson, and Owen. Um, what did I say? Owen Williams is the other main character, and uh, it uh, so recreate the '60s meticulously. And basically, they got a hold of all this great NASA footage and used the premise that um, NASA doesn't have the technology to make the moonwalk happen in the time frame that is expected like it, the the project is four years off and it, the best results would it would be 1971 and that there is suspicion that there's a mole a russian mole of course um infiltrated the nasa project 
And so uh, the two main characters are um, CIA and they really want to be part of this project. And so what they pitch is what the CIA had done to try and um, find the mole was they were going to have two people be uh, rocket scientists and their argument was that it's pretty hard to fake that you're a rocket scientist and you'd be found out. So what they're going to do is pretend that they're documentary filmmakers about the NASA um, space program and so they would be able to infiltrate that way. And then when they discover that the um, moon landing is not possible, they decide, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to fake it. And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, um, go and get on to Stanley Krupitz's set, who is faking a moon uh, uh, landing and uh, uh, all of that for 2001, and get the intel on how he's doing it, in order, which is like front scheme for projection, in order to, to do this ourselves. We can't land on the moon. We aren't touching down for five years. Do you understand what this means? NASA can't do it. They can't land man and come back. We can make a film that shows us going to the moon without actually doing it. And um, that's the plot. And it gets, there's an incredible car chase in it because the, also there's the dark side of how the CIA reacts. They're kind of rogue. Um, the main character kind of um, convinces his sidekick by deceiving him a lot <laughs> into going like thinking that they do have approval to do this documentary and there's some amazing um, uh, tension there including they even went and filmed at NASA the photographic archivist saying that they were doing a documentary and didn't tell him that they what they were doing was actually this fiction film, Operation Avalanche. So the concept of prank and the tension of um, coming up with this uh, hairballed scheme and roping your best buddy into it, and your best buddy's like uh, punches you in the face because he's being deceived constantly, and you're getting him into serious trouble because uh, everything is a conspiracy. I mean. Uh, the other very dark subplot is one of the plans of the CIA was to actually shoot the rocket down if they discovered that it could not land and then blame the Russians for it. Like that was one of their options. Um, so uh, beautiful time traveling in that kind of twisted way. Um, just a bit of a, a real mind blowing. It's going to be released in September. Totally. Water release? Yeah. Totally worth seeing. Uh, oh, and back to what our other theme about believing the premise. Very easy, logically, to believe the premise, but in speaking to the, the uh, producers and directors and filmmakers, all of them, none of them believed that the um, walk on the moon was uh, faked. <laughs> like, they, they don't believe it for a second. So they don't believe their premise. They don't believe their premise at all. And you could go away thinking, because it does have very much a conspiracy, uh, you know, conspiracy theory kind of uh, feel to it, and the level of you know conspiracy theory and paranoia kind of gets amped up throughout the whole film. It's really cool. All right, and that's Operation Avalanche. Good old Canadian filmmaking. And that's it for this week, and for this year of Pantasia. The band is going to start downstairs and drown us out at any minute. <laughs> <laughs>
So thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, stay tuned to the Wednesday morning after here on CKAT. You frightened? Yes, not nearly frightened enough. I know what hunts you. <laughs>